dueling mics. Like lightsabers. <laughs> yeah. I think this thing gets taller every time I get behind it. Roll it out of the way here. Can we give it up for Eric and the worship team? I mean, we, have, we have an amazing worship team, don't we? We, we, we have some, some wonderful people that, that serve our congregation, and, and we are absolutely blessed. And I don't ever want to take, take for granted the, the great gift that we have in, in a wonderful worship team. Uh, how many of you know that, that this is inspired by God? Everything else that I bring to you from up here is filler. <laughs> I've, I've been given like 30 minutes, and, and I don't have 30 minutes of Scripture to read to you. So I'm going to fill in with some stuff. I even made myself, a, I even made myself some notes today. <laughs> They're supposed to be sticky on the back. I can't figure out how that works. They keep sliding down. Anyway, how many campers do we have in the room? Anybody here like to camp, love the, the great Northwest, like to go out and, 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 and rough it? Yeah. And, you get, and how many of you have sore backs? Back problems? Uh-huh, I think there's a correlation between the two, possibly. So I used to, I used to like to camp and hike and, and go out in the woods and do all sorts of manly stuff. And when my wife and I got married, we, we went and we bought a tent, and we bought, like, all the camping supplies you could possibly need. And then 10 years into it, I realized I should have saved my money and bought a camper. <laughs> that would have been the way to go. But instead, two-person tent. No children. We had the, we had the, the tent and the, and the little lanterns and all that kind of stuff. And, and at some point in my life, I'll get into that in a minute, but at some point in my life, my legs started having some problems. And, and, but I still like the idea of going out and roughing it, right? And going out in the wilderness. We used to go to Lake Cushman a lot. Any big Lake Cushman fans? Right? We'd travel up to Lake Cushman and camp around the backside of the lake, and, and it, it, was a, it was a kick. It was so beautiful and so nice. And, and I think I spent more time at REI than I ever did in the woods. Anybody relate? Yeah, I mean, I was like, I'd, I'd be like, all right, we're, we're going to go camping this summer. But REI is right there. That's light camping. I mean, you can go to REI and, and go camping through osmosis. You just stand in the middle aisle, and it just, it just flows to you, and you go home feeling more, more, more rough and tough and rugged. I mean, it, the stubble was just a little bit longer just from having been at REI. Eyeballed a new pocket knife. It was great. It has a flashlight on it and a compass. Great stuff at REI. So, so I was, uh, my legs were doing bad that day, and I happened to have my, my, my leg, my, I had a knee problem at the time, and I don't even remember why. But I had my knee was all wrapped up, and I was wearing shorts, and, and I had my cane because my legs were just, just rough. And, and I decided I'm going to take the, the elevator that's the one, the box you get in, right? I always get the escalator, elevator confused. I don't know. My kids know which one it is because I always want to ride the one with the, with the stairs, escalator. So, so I get in the elevator, and about the time the door's closing, this lady gets in with me. And I was like, oh, it's cool. I got company for the, the long ride you know, up one flight. And, and she, she turns to me. She's one of those people that just loves to talk to everybody, which is, which is great. I, I like to talk to I love meeting new people. And, and she turns to me, and she says, oh, dear, what happened to you? And I was like, you know, in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, I've told the story of, of 
the condition that I have a lot of times at, up to this point in my life. And I thought, you know, I'm tired of telling that story. So I, I happen to say, well, I got attacked by a bear. And I said it with more intensity than that, and my face showed something of, I may have been attacked by a bear. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, this lady had an absolute terrorizing fear of being attacked by a bear. And so she, after I said that, she went pale, and I thought she was going to claw her way out of the elevator, as if there was a bear in the elevator also. And how many of you know that if you tell a story and you don't tell the truth right away, it's called a fib? <laughs> so because I felt so bad for her, I thought I, I, I at least got to make things right. And so I told her, no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It was a cougar. <laughs> and this lady got off the elevator and, and she, I, I, I don't know. I think she went, she soiled herself. I, I don't know. I, I, it was a terrifying thing for her. She did not have a good time in the elevator that day. I got a kick out of it, though. <laughs> now, I love stories. If you, if you ever spend much time, time with me, you'll find out I, I, just, I just love stories. Any story lovers in here? I mean, I, love, I, loved, I used to love spending time with my grandpa when he was around because he always had a story. And he lived, he grew up in, like, backwoods Oklahoma. And he had some stories that just made you go, for real? No. I mean... Just, just crazy stories, and yeah, I just, I absolutely love stories. And how many of you know the best stories always have some, some great risk to them, and they always have, so they have, they have great risk and they have great reward, right? One or the other. And but some of my story, uh, I had been praying at one point for faith. Anybody ever pray for faith before, right? We always pray for faith. faith. Faith is a good thing to have. And there are some people, the Bible says, God gives a spiritual gift of faith. Right? They just wake up one morning and boom, they have faith. I mean, they're ready for the day. They're ready to take on life. And how many of you know that was not me? Prayed for faith and, and it did, didn't work out that way. And uh, so one morning, I, I, this was years and years ago, I was, uh, I was praying for faith and and I thought, man, God, I just, I, want, I just want tons of faith, God. And about that time, um, I'd been praying for a little while, and a friend of mine who was, who was on staff at a church with me called, and, and we were talking just about some stuff that they had some questions about, and, and they asked if they could pray for me about anything. And I said, yeah, I, pray for my faith. I want to have, have just rock-solid man-of-God faith. I want mountain-moving faith. And, and they said, okay, we'll, we'll pray for you. And, and they prayed, and, and uh, as soon as I hung up the phone, I kind of expected God was going to wave the magic Bible over me, and poof, I'd have faith. But that's not exactly what happened. What did happen is I woke up the next day, and I couldn't feel my feet. <laughs> and I thought, this is strange. And I didn't think much of it. I just thought, it just feels funny. And I, I went on to, to the next day, and I woke up the next day, and my, my legs were numb from my knees down. And I thought, good Lord, what's going on with my legs? This can't be good. So I called the doctor and made an appointment. He's like, oh, yeah, we'll get you in here in a couple of days. Sounds great. So 
I uh, went on with my day and, and was freaking out a little bit, and I was praying about it. I was like, man, God, you got you to gotta heal my legs. They're going to fall off or something. I don't know what's wrong. And I woke up the next day, and things were numb from my waist down. It felt like I had a damp wetsuit on. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't feel my skin. It was weird. And by this time, I was, like, getting some anxiety. I was freaking out because this is, this is, this is scary stuff. And so I started really praying, right? I was, like, throwing in some fasting, right? Oh, God, I'm too, I'm too scared to eat, so I'm just going to pray instead, right? And so I, I, I prayed and I prayed like every hour, man. I was just freaking out and praying and, and just, just, oh, God, you got to heal me from this, this, this terrible thing. And then I woke up the next day and, boom, it was up to here. And then the praying got crazy. I mean, I don't even think, I don't even think I got off the floor. Like all day long, I was just praying, God, help it not to get on my face. God, I don't want my head to go numb. I don't want to play like this anymore. I don't want to play like this. I wouldn't even be able to understand what I was praying. It would be terrible. And so I went to the doctor and he said, uh, so, well, son, you might have multiple sclerosis. And I thought, that's weird. That's an incurable thing. Why would you tell someone that? <laughs> you just pulled that out like a rabbit out of a hat. Poof, here you go. I know you don't even know whether to laugh or stay quiet, right? <gasps> Is he serious? That's crazy. Yeah, I got home and I called it a few other choice names. <laughs> ones, you, ones you don't want your kids to repeat. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, so the doctor said I, I had a, a thing that, that sounded really incurable and it sounded terrible. And I thought, man, how's God going to work through this thing? This, is, this sounds awful. And uh, long story short is, is they decided to, to call it transverse myelitis, which means that you get a really bad thing that, that causes nervous system problems and eventually, uh, usually it just goes away. And you never hear from it again. And it can, it can just affect, I mean, your skin can go numb, or it can be to the point where you're eating out of a tube the rest of your life. And they don't know where it's going to land. And so here I'm at a point where my faith is getting stretched. My faith is getting challenged. And so I began, I mean, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And, you know, one of two things could happen. God could have just miraculously healed me, poof, boom. And I would have been like, wow, that's great, God. And, and went strutting along with the rest of life. Or the other road God chose to use is that I went down this, this path of, of dealing with this stuff that uh, challenged me to pray more and more in, in about areas in my life that, that I probably never would have prayed about concerning health. I met some amazing people, and I still do, that, that deal with some physical conditions or sicknesses or illnesses. And there's just this new relationship I have with people that, that have stuff in life, right? I get to meet some people, and I get to pray for people, and it, it's interesting. Every now and then, the Lord uses me. I'll go to the hospital, and I'll, I'll uh, show up to pray for somebody there, and uh, one of the first looks I get from them usually is, you don't know me, and you don't know what I'm going through, and I have this, this wonderful gift now to be able to share. I kind of know what you're going through a little bit, because the Lord's kind of taken me through some stuff, and as I'm able to share with, with, with certain individuals, the Lord just kind of opens a door. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that I never invited. It's something that I never wanted, but it's something that the, that the Lord has led me through. 
And I don't really talk about it a whole lot because it's a little, little weird sharing, sharing about some of my own personal story. But, you know, stories are important. So what's your story? We've all got one, every single one of us. We've all got a story. And the thing is, for most of us, our, our stories are, are intertwined. I mean, we, we relate through stories, but our stories are related in, in one common area, and that is Jesus. Because God is, is whether you're a Christian or not, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you may recognize that God has led you down a road of faith and God is doing some things in your life. And if you're, if you're not a believer here today, you might not recognize it, but God is working behind the scenes in your life to direct you to him so that he can bring you great things. God has abundant life for you. He has promises for you that he wants you to be a part of. The Bible says that Jesus died for the sins of the world, right? How many of you know he didn't just die for, for certain people's sins? He died for the sins of the world. That's everybody. Now, one of the things I, I love about uh, the Gospels is the Gospels are full of amazing stories. Uh, Jesus led the disciples on some crazy, risky stuff. And one of the things I love about Jesus was that he was always pushing the limits of normal, of, of traditional, of the common thing that was done in in, in Christ's culture. He was always kind of pushing the limits. And as, I, as we read through the Gospels, man, they always just come so alive to me. I love reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and just seeing what's going on in these stories. And sometimes we have a tendency to be like, oh, I read my Bible today. I kind of just flew through some pages and read some things. But if we take the time to slow down and really dig in to what we're reading, especially in the Gospels, there are some stories in there that are going to that just absolutely come alive. I mean, we have we've kind of uh, found a way in 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 our culture to make Jesus and the disciples kind of like Robin Hood and the Merry Men, right? I mean, here's Jesus. He straps on his his carpenter tool belt, right? He straps on his carpenter tool belt, and and he's heading out to into into Galilee with. Just 12 disciples, right? And these are, these are sailors, fishermen, right? And we kind of have a tendency to think like, oh, they're like, they're like Navy men. I mean, here they have repented from, from terrible sins and uh, have given up using profanity to follow Jesus, right? And that's not really what it was like at all. The fact is, Jesus was a rabbi, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and he, he had, well, originally he had hundreds of people that followed him, but the, the 12 disciples most likely were teenagers. There very well may, may have been a, a few that were in their young 20s, but most of them were teenagers. This was, this was the Jewish rabbi leading a youth ministry. <laughs> this paints a whole different picture, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know about how many of you guys, when you were teenagers and you worked on your car, and, and I, I, for me, I got my first car, and my first car did not run very well. And I had to learn how to fix this car and make it stay running. And so my dad gave me a wrench, and I took this wrench, and I had a great fear of it. 
Because every time it was in my hand, I busted a knuckle and, and hurt myself. And these are the same young men that were following Jesus. These guys, by the time that they were by 13, they had the entire first five books of the Old Testament mostly memorized. These are not just, just kids that, that were, spent their life fishing. They grew up in a home that, uh, where their dad may have been fishing or doing a family trade, but they spent the first part of their life in church learning what the direction that God had for their life, learning the history of the Jewish culture, of the Jewish people, of how God had led them, right? And so here they are following Jesus. And, and one of the stories I love, Matthew chapter 8, Jesus took some good Jewish boys to the Gadarenes to face a scary demoniac living in a cemetery. I mean, what kind of title does that sound like to you, right? That sounds like a good story to me. That sounds like a great story. Jesus and the disciples, man, they're in this boat, little rickety thing, and they pull up to the shore, and they get out, and Jesus had a purpose for going to this area called the Gadarenes. It's basically 10 towns uh, on the other side of where Jesus spent most of his time, and they're over there, and they're expecting to probably go minister to some Jewish people in that area, and they come out of the boat, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes this ghoulie guy, just, just crazy, and... And he's got chains on him. And the Bible says that, that he came out of, like, the catacombs. And if you ever go to this region or see pictures of it, there's, like, some cliffs on either side. And there's just tombs. I mean, there's something out of a scary movie. I mean, in the background, they're like, I mean, it was just weird. And here comes this guy who, this guy was so crazy that the disciples even had it mixed up as to whether or not there were one or two of them. I mean, one account is, oh, there was one guy, and he was crazy. And another account is, there was two of them, man. They were, they were super crazy, double crazy. <laughs> but nonetheless, the Bible tells us that they couldn't even, people couldn't even pass through that area because these guys, this guy, whatever it was, was so just absolutely wild. And he comes over and, and just growling and, and doing his ghouly thing and, and flops down in some, like, distorted position before Jesus just out of some like demonic form of worship or something, right? Just knowing who Jesus was. And I could imagine the look on the face of these kids. They've never seen anything like this. They've seen Jesus heal people and do some, do some neat things, but all of a sudden, here comes this guy, and they're probably like, whoa! And then Jesus casts these demons out of this, 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 this man and frees him. I could not even imagine being being one of their their mothers and them coming home that night and being like hey mom guess what we did today <laughs> i mean that'd just be insane another one uh matthew chapter 16 we we fly through this this is a little tiny chunk that we get hung up on so much sometimes between catholics and protestants it's about when uh uh Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the rock, and, or you're the, uh, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And, and, and Jesus says, Peter, you're right, and on this rock I'll build my church. Right? We, we get caught up on this thing, right? But this is it's just a little tiny blurb of Scripture that has a story behind it that is so fascinating. And it starts like this. The Bible says that Jesus went to the area of Caesarea Philippi, and for the most part, most of us wouldn't even think that's any different than, oh, Jesus took the disciples to the mall. They're on an outing, right? 
But the reality of it was this is the longest journey Jesus took with his disciples. They went on a 32-mile round-trip hike. Yeah, exactly. For those of you who like hiking and camping, think of that one. <laughs> Sounds painful. So, so they go to this place that was basically the center of worship for the, the god Pan. And there was this giant cliff in the background that had little nooks and crannies all over it where they would, they'd had statues of all the different gods, Nemesis, uh, uh, Caesar they would have on there, just all these different Greek gods they would have just kind of plastered all over the walls. And this place was like Las Vegas on crack. This was, this was not like a, a trip to another church down the road or, or, or to Mexico on a mission trip. I mean, this was like hardcore. The, the, the rabbis of that time even taught that a good Jewish person would never, ever go there because it was such a, a place of... of degradation. I mean, it was, they were worshiping, uh, if you can see over here on the left side, there's a cave, and they believed that, that this cave, uh, there was a, a stream that would come out of, underneath some of the rocks there, and they believed that uh, Baal would come from the underworld out of this cave and go into the world and go back, and he would use this place as, as his in and out to go throughout the world. And it was literally called the, the, the gate of hell. So when we read this passage about, about how the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, they were standing at a literal place that was a giant rock with a cave on it called the gate of hell. And Jesus is telling his disciples, this is, this is shortly before he's crucified. This is, this is one of their last outings. And he says to them, he, he says to his disciples that, He's going to build his church on a place like this. And the gate of hell can't even prevail against it. Here's Jesus telling his disciples that even the worst, most wretched people in the entire world. Well, I mean, what do gates do, right? Gates, gates don't attack anybody, do they? I mean, we read this sometime and think, oh, hell can't come after me. I've never seen a gate come after anybody. It'd be weird. <laughs> gates do one thing. They keep people in or they keep people out. And Jesus is saying, I think Jesus is saying, that the gates of hell, even a place like this, the church is going to be so full of love that's going to be so contagious and so powerful that every work of the enemy, as well as a, a place like this where people aren't even thinking about the real God, the one who wants to bring life change and love and, and future and hope and joy, God's even going to be able to do a work in, in places where there's people like that. Now, I think that's a pretty, a, a pretty potent thing. I think that's pretty serious. Because the love of even the worst of sinners have a chance. I think heaven's going to be full of amazing stories. Um, one of the things I can't wait to be involved in is just, I imagine walking around heaven and just listening to all these different followers of Christ, sharing their stories about all the things that God did. I mean, can you imagine talking to, to Peter, to Paul, to Andrew, to any of these guys about the things that they did? I mean, John even wrote in, uh, in the last gospel that, that all the, if he had time to write it, all the books in the world couldn't even contain all the stories of the things that Jesus did. 
I mean, the stories were just overflowing of the things that Jesus, that Jesus did. Just amazing stuff. Heaven's going to be full of amazing stories of the, thing that God, the things God has done. Because everyone has a story. We're all on a faith journey. Every single one of us. Whether you're, you're a believer or you're not. Whether, you, whether you're... Uh, it doesn't matter what point in life you're in. We're all searching. Whether you're a Christian, you're, you're, you're working on your faith getting stronger, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're pressing into the Lord. You're reading your Bible. You're trying to grow. You're, you're trying to, to pursue Christ. Or you may be here and you're like, man, you know what? I love yoga. Right? I mean, you go to, go to, go to your yoga classes and, and you feel spiritual and good and, and, and it, it makes you feel good to bend yourself into contorted knots. I don't, I don't know what, what your thing is, right? But the reality of it is we're all on a faith journey. We're all, we're all doing things because we have a spiritual side of us that is longing to be, to, to be fulfilled, Right? We pursue it through Christ because we believe that Christ is the answer, that Christ is, is it. But we're all on a journey, and hopefully they're all going to lead to Jesus one day. So stories, stories are neat, but you know what? Stories aren't just neat. They're also powerful. Stories are powerful. That's, I think there's a, there's a reason why... The stories are so important in our culture, in our community, uh, in our relationships, because stories aren't just neat, they're powerful. Revelation uh, chapter 12, verse 11. If you've got your Bible and you want to turn there, it says this. It says, And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were, that they were afraid to die. The Bible tells us that we overcome... By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And they weren't afraid to die, right? This is, this is uh, John kind of summing up from start to finish about, uh, about how the church, how the body of Christ throughout all of time overcame the enemy. Right? I want to d- dive into the scripture just a little bit. Let's, let's, let's look at this for just a minute. Here's, the, here's like the weird part, right? Let's, let's get into the weird part first. The blood of the Lamb. I mean, what's that all about? Just, just to sum it up, super fast, blood of the lamb, that, that's Jesus dying on the cross, right? That is Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. The Bible tells us, and so does history, that Jesus was a man, that he was sinless, he lived a perfect life because he was God. The Bible tells us he, he is the image of the invisible God. He is basically God come to earth to reach us because, I mean, how does an ant relate to you, right? I mean, let's dig into it, right? Realistically, if I'm trying to talk to an ant, hey, ant, there's a truck going to run over you any minute. Is the ant going to get it? No. But if I had a way to, like, go down there and become an ant so that I could share with them how, how to live, that's what God did for us. It's not that God thinks you're an ant. He loves you. If there's any question whether or not he loves you because of, because of my ant analogy, think of this. Jesus died. He loves us so much that, that he died 
to forgive the sins of the world so that we can, we can go to him. The Bible says he's paved the way so that if anybody at all would say yes to Jesus, would surrender their life to God, he has restored that relationship between God and man. It's a good thing, right? I mean, all of humanity ever since the fall have been searching spiritually for something to be fulfilling. And that thing that's missing is that connection between the living God and mankind. The thing that stood in the way was sin, our failure, our inability to be perfect. And Jesus said, I'm going to wipe all that out of the way so that there will be nothing standing between mankind and God except for pride. And when we surrender that pride, the Bible says, if anyone calls on the name of the Lord in the last days, they will be saved. Right? When we surrender our pride and say, and say God, I give up. I'm tired of making deals with you because God doesn't accept deals. I don't know about you. The only deal God accepts is surrender. Right? That's it. There's no making deals with God because nothing we do is good enough. No amount of money is going to buy your way into heaven. No amount of, of good deeds is going to be good enough because the Bible says that, that if we've sinned in one thing, one area, one time, we're guilty of having sinned in all areas all the time. So if we've told one little tiny lie, we're guilty. Right? According to the law, we're guilty. No matter what, what we've done, the tiniest, the tiniest flaw. And so Jesus said, I, I, I know you're flawed. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to take all your flaws. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to be flawless for you. So we've, we've covered blood of the lamb, Jesus, right? And the word of their testimony, their faith-filled story. They overcame by the blood of the lamb, and the word of their testimony, their faith-filled story. Who did they overcome? Why did they overcome? They overcame the devil, Satan. I don't know about you, but, but you may have raised your hand in church one day and said, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus, right? You may have, no, have had no idea that you were signing up to be involved in a spiritual war. But we are. The Bible says that that... that there is there's an enemy of our soul. We've call, we call him the devil. We call him Satan. Call we sometimes we call him the enemy, right? We we have all sorts of names we've thought of for 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 the devil. And this is this is who the Bible says that the church that believers have overcome, right? We overcome Satan's most vicious attacks against our soul, against our hearts, against our lives. And this is the area that, that he attacks us. It, it's in our minds. It's in our thoughts. The enemy is doing everything that he can to disqualify you in your own mind from the things that God has for you in the areas of abundant life, joy, peace, relationships, It's not an attack against your physical body. Sometimes we think it is, right? Like, like me, my legs get sick, and, or you know, my nervous system has problems, and sometimes we think, oh, it's the devil. He's attacking me. 
You know, we, we, want, we want to put up the dukes and, 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 and go to bat. But the Bible says we don't wage war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of this age, right? It's against our minds, ladies and gentlemen, that we fight a battle for. It's the enemy who wants to disqualify us in our own thoughts from the things God has for us. The Bible says that, that in, in, in James, uh, uh, I think it's 4 verse 7, it says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he must flee from you. I don't know about you, but I have like this, this little attorney that sits on my shoulder. And every time I do something that I know I shouldn't do, this little attorney pipes up in, in my defense. Right? Oh, it wasn't so bad. Man, man, God thought that was a joke. Cougar. Oh, it's just funny. Scare that lady half to death. Right? We all have this little attorney that sits on our shoulder and, and convinces us that the things we do that are not okay concerning God's word and God's heart and God's, God's future for us are okay. And there comes a point, ladies and gentlemen, where we have to take this, this sin, this pride, this, this stuff that is not okay before the Lord. And we need to learn to submit that thing to the Lord. The Bible says, submit to the Lord, resist the devil. It begins, our overcoming, the building of our faith story begins when we begin to submit our sin to God, the areas of darkness that are hiding deep in our hearts, the things we don't want people to know about, the things we do when no one's watching, the things that are not even, not quite so bad, right, says a little attorney, that we take those things and we submit them to the Lord, that the areas of darkness where the, where the enemy is trafficking, when we say, I'm tired of that, I'm done, I want my faith to grow, Lord, I submit this to you, I surrender this sin to you. Devil, I'm done. When it gets to the point where the very areas the enemy would want to destroy us become the areas of our greatest successes, the enemy will quit attacking you. When every time the enemy brings a failure to you, an area where you're going to most likely stumble and fall, at least from the devil's perspective, when you begin to take those things, very first thing, and submit them before the Lord, and say, God, get me past this. I submit it to you. The enemy will quit attacking you in that. The enemy is not going to use something, try to use something against you that is going to be used by the Spirit to grow you, to free you. The last little bits of this, of this passage say they weren't afraid to give up worldly life and they weren't, af- they weren't afraid of death. There's, there's two parts to this, right? This is, when we get to the place in life sometimes where we, have, we feel like we have nothing to lose, some of you may be there. Some of you may be at a place where, where you just think, you know what, I, I, have, I have nothing to lose. Or you've been there. Right? This, is, this is a very dangerous place for you or it's a dangerous place for the devil. Right, because if we live in a perspective that that where we began to become selfish and, and everything is, is beaten down on me, and I have nothing left to live for, I mean that's a bad place to be. But when we get to the place where we can acknowledge before the Lord that God, I am broken, I surrender my life to you, 
I have nothing to live for except you. All the possessions, all the stuff of life, when that stuff becomes second grade material to your pursuit of God, your story will become a story that all of heaven will pause and go, dude, I got to hear this story. My wife tells me every now and then that I can't remember anything. I can't remember why she says that. (laughs) Over a hundred times in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that God told the Israelites to remember the things that he had done. Over a hundred times. I had no idea it was that many until I started spending some time searching this week, searching in the scriptures. I want to read one to you. This is Psalm 77, verse Verse 11 here, it says, I recall all that you've done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts, and I cannot stop thinking about them. O God, you are, your ways are holy. Is there any God mightier than you? You are the God of miracles and wonders, and you demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. You have redeemed your people by, by your strength. It goes on to say in, 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 in chapter 78, Verse 7, it says, So each generation could set its hope anew on God. Remember his glorious miracles and obey his commands. It says over and over again to remember the things that God has done. God told the Israelites, man, they they have feasts, they have parties to remember the things that God's done. They write stuff on their forehead. God told him in the Old Testament, write stuff on your forehead, put it on the walls in your house, write it on your arm, tell your friends to repeat things to you. I mean, every single thing in their life was revolving around remembering the things that God had done in their life because God knew how important it was to remember the miracles that he had done. And it's the same thing for us. We've got to remember the things that God has done in our lives. Some of you, and times in my life, we get sidetracked when we don't remember what God's done. The enemy is working overtime to get you to forget the things that God has done in your life. The prayers that he's answered, the healings, the stories from from friends who have had God do something that was just amazing. And you thought, wow, that's really neat. I'm going to remember that. But once we get into some difficult things, right, the enemy wants to, firsthand, he's attacking our thoughts, getting us to remember or to forget the things that God has done. When, When I want to encourage you guys... Go home today, get a piece of paper, and over the next day or two, begin remembering what God has done. Write it down. Don't just get a piece of paper because that would be weird. <laughs> but, but get the paper and, and write down on the paper the things God's done. When you were praying for your son or daughter and God answered that prayer, write it down. When you're praying for your spouse and God answered that prayer, write it down. When God opened the doors for a job that you thought there's no way in in the world that I'm going to get this job, write it down. When you were praying about uh, whether or not to go through a door or not, you know, not a real physical door, but whether or not to, to go down a direction in your life, And you went through the door and things worked out great. Write it down. (laughs) Write it down. Write it down. 
Philippians 1, 6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, God is not through with you. I don't care what you're going through in your life right now. God is not through with you. One more time. God is not through with you. I don't know where you're at in your life right now or what you've gone through. Let me tell you, I've gone through some stuff. And I'm, I'm, over the next however many years, I will probably share a lot of it with you. But let me just, just start by saying this. There's going to be a time when you're going to come out of a whole mess of stuff and think, wow, God, I am glad that is over. Woo! I'm just going to sit here for a while and just guard and just make sure nothing else comes my way. Right? Because I don't want, I don't want to deal with anything else. I can't handle it. Life is short, and you can, you can guard until the day you're dead. Your faith will not grow. Miracles will just flatline. I mean, you'll be comfortable. God's plan for you is not to be comfortable. It's to grow you to be more like Jesus. And that's why in Philippians it says that God is not through with you. It says, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. God is faithful to complete the work of art he began in your story, if you let him. So a few few practical steps to a great faith story. Number one, never turn down an uh, opportunity because of fear or apathy. Ladies and gentlemen, Never turn down an opportunity because you're afraid to, to, to go through a door, because you're afraid of, of what might happen. It's the areas where we will be stretched. It's the areas where things look a little bit bigger than we can handle. Those are the areas where God works the most to grow you. The entire, the entire book of Scripture resounds over and over again with be strong and courageous. God is calling all of his people everywhere, be strong and courageous. It says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Right? God's called you to be successful in everything you do. Do not take that as as a financial anything. I'm I'm not preaching prosperity to you. What I'm telling you is that God has called you to be strong and courageous. And if you do that, you'll be successful in everything you do. Go through doors that look scary on the other side. Because you'll come out of that with a story of trusting the Lord where your faith has grown and great things will happen through that. Don't hold back because of apathy. Don't hold back because of fear. Number two. Stay close to Jesus. The Bible says that he has gone before you and behind you. I don't know about you, but th- there's been times where I'll be supposed to go somewhere, and, and I've got my GPS, and I like my GPS. It's good. But how many of you know there's areas where it just doesn't work? And it, it, it tries to pretend it does, right? Like you'll be driving, and you'll be like, oh, following the GPS, and it's like turn left here, and you turn, and you drive for like, 20 miles, and you look at the map, and all of a sudden there's nothing on the map. And it's like, it hasn't told me anything different. I should just keep going. 
And then you look at the top and it's a little twirly thing, right? That's like searching, searching, and wow. I guess I'll just keep going till it picks something up. And then you drive for three more hours, and then it's like, make a U-turn. <laughs> so there is nothing like following somebody who knows where they're going. The Bible tells us that, that God has gone before you and behind you, and he keeps guard on both sides. He's been through that door. He's been down that road. If you take the time to say, God, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm scared to death. But, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up to help a VBS. I'm going to take that job, even though there's no way in the world that I'm qualified for this. Whatever the door that God has opened for you, put fear on the back burner. Take a step through it. God's already on the other side. He's gone before you. Stay close to him. Right? Just like if I'm following somebody to, to John's house, right? If I, if, I, if I stay too far back, I'm going to lose my focus. I'm going to start getting afraid of, I don't know where I'm going. But if we stay close to Jesus in prayer, stay close to him in the word, he will guide and he will direct you. The Bible says that this is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And number three. Philippians 3.13 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. This is Paul writing. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Children of God, let go of the past. Some of you are stuck in this place where you have not moved forward because you're holding on to something from yesterday. And I think from God's perspective, it, it's, it's like hold, holding on to roadkill. It's like you've got this, this dead thing that is old and rotten and stinking and, and filthy, and you keep holding on to it. I mean, this is, a, this is absolutely the most disgusting picture, but I, I absolutely feel like, like this is from the Lord all of a sudden. I feel like this is something that the Lord is just absolutely putting in me right now for you. It is absolutely in, in his nostrils a disgusting, filthy thing that he wants you to cut loose. We're all striving to forget the things from the past. We, we've got to let go of them. Whether it's sin, the Bible says that God does not remember your sin. You need to get over it. If there's sin that, that you are living in now that's holding you back, stop it. I mean, we could teach a sermon on that, right? But why? Stop it. If there's something in the past whether it be a relationship, whether it's sin that, that you feel like you're just entangled in and can't, can't get out of, just understand the enemy is making it a way bigger deal in your mind than it is in the Lord's mind. He has forgiven you. Move on. With that, if you've been hurt by somebody else, maybe you were hurt by a church, maybe you were hurt by just an, another individual, 
forgive, move on. A whole nother sermon, <laughs> right? Move on from it, let it go. We have uh, a wonderful group of, of, uh, of folks who meet back here in this back room after service who love to pray. They're absolutely the most praying people I know. And, and if you feel like there's something you can't let go of, after the service is done, march yourself through that door, go in there, be brave, and get prayer. Because you can leave here today free from that thing. God wants to build your faith story. God wants to walk you down a road that by the end of it, you're going to be able to look back and say, wow, I have a story. And all of heaven's going to want to hear it because of the areas in your life where you said no to pride, you said no to sin, you said yes to God, you pursued him, you let go of things of the past, and you moved on to the future. Last but not least, when God is in it, it'll always be bigger than you can handle on your own because if you could handle it on your own, you wouldn't need his help. God is drawing you and me into companionship into a relationship to build a great adventure, a great story for your life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord Jesus.